Hello again, welcome. It's On Mike with Jordan Rich, where conversation is alive and well. Creative people from all walks of life joining me regularly, and you can join me and connect with me online, Jordan at chartproductions.com. Our Facebook page is The Jordan Rich Show, and on Twitter, it's at Jordan WBZ. We've got a husband and wife team with us today. Emerico DeFranzo, a.k.a. Rico, is a master chef, currently executive chef at the world-famous Union Oyster House in Boston, a landmark institution that opened in 1826, America's oldest continuously operating restaurant. He is an industry leader, having won numerous international awards and is a member of such prestigious organizations as the ACF Epicurean Club of Boston, the American Culinary Federation, the World Association of Chef Society, and so many more. And also here with him is his lovely better half, his wife Sharon. Sharon DeFranzo is a singer-songwriter of the First Order and a budding voiceover star. She's one of the sweetest, most generous talents I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. So you come to this podcast knowing that it's about good taste. Today, things that taste good, really good. (laughs) So Rico and Sharon DeFranzo, it's about time we went on mic. Well, I don't know whether I should uh, break out my knife and fork or what. I've got one of the master chefs of the world here, Rico DeFranzo with his lovely wife, Sharon. Hi, guys. How are you? Hey, Jordan. How you doing? Hey. Hey, is that all you have for me? This woman- nice. Grace to see you. Yes. Great to see you as always. As always. This woman sings and is a terrific voice actress. And uh, she says, hey, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're going to focus on Rico quite a bit. And Sharon, you'll have a chance to join us as well. And thanks for being here and bringing this guy here. My pleasure. You are one of the lucky souls to work in some of the most amazing places, including one of the most historic restaurants on planet Earth. Tell us about where you work currently. Well, currently, I'm the executive chef of the Union Oyster House in Boston. So that's America's oldest restaurant, founded in 1826 and it's 193 years old. Now, I've been to the restaurant not a long time. I need to go back. But when you walk in, you, you feel as though you're stepping back into time. But how's the kitchen? Is it from that era too, or have you updated any of it? I've updated quite a bit <laughs> since I've been there. It, it was a little uh, dated when I got there, but I will tell you that uh, the owners have uh, allowed me to really modernize that kitchen up quite a bit. I mean, everything from you know new gas equipment to even having duction burners, which is really uh, high tech for, for the restaurant business at this yeah. point. I was being a little facetious. I assumed that was the case. But what's great about the restaurant is the tradition and the Kennedy table, right? The Kennedy booth? Yes. Tell us about that. The Kennedy booth is a unique table where it seats up to six. It's kind of our VIP table. Um, It's open every year except for the day that he passed away. This is JFK we're talking about. Correct. And what we do with that uh, day is we bring white roses, put it on the table, Mm. and close it for the day. But it is the most popular place. We see people literally clamor to get in there and take a photo in that booth. And the question I always get asked is, where did he sit? Um, I always tell people he sat to the right-hand side because if that was me, I would sit there because people can't see you there. It's uh, a very private booth. Was it fettuccine Alfredo <laughs> that I that was his dish of uh, choice? No, I was told it was lobster bisque. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I love because it, we do have a few Italian dishes on the menu, but uh, Yeah, I always heard that. One. Okay, maybe he wandered over to the north end he, at one point. He had certain places he dined on certain days yeah. of the week when he was a state senator. Well, that's just one very small piece of uh, historic trivia, but the restaurant has been one of the shining stars for years. You guys have won all kinds of awards and so forth. Yes, uh, the, the restaurants won a tremendous amount of awards. Um, I mean, Forbes magazine picked us as uh, you know one of the 
top restaurants to visit in the world, actually, uh, a few years ago when, when I've uh, worked mm-hmm. along with uh, the owners to kind of create some little bit more media buzz about the, the restaurant. Now, in the introduction, I didn't mention anything about your early years, and you're not an old timer by any stretch, but your youth and growing up and food and all that. I mean, I'm guessing with a name like DeFranzo, <laughs> there's a little bit of history here regarding culinary tastes and so forth. Yeah, well, for myself, I mean, I, I ended up... Um, in 1976, actually, getting a scholarship to go to a culinary school. Mm-hmm. And that's how my career started. You were a CIA so, agent or different? No, actually local. I went to a school in Norwood, oh. Massachusetts, um, out of high school, got the opportunity to go down. And while I was there, I got a job while I was in school. But was it something that you just had to do because mom and dad and grandma and all the people in the family sort of willed it to you? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, um, it's kind of an interesting a little bit of a story. So in high school, um, was a new high school in, in Medford where I grew up, mm-hmm. and they uh, opened up a section, nice homeroom, um, and your homeroom was basically, for us, was home ec. So we had a home ec teacher there, her name was Sharon LaHaze, and uh, she taught uh, a lot of the girls how to, to cook and bake and so on. And at the end of the class, we had to check back in, and she would have leftovers in the room. And it would always be the things the girls didn't want to take home. It was either the burnt cookies, the brownies that were overcooked, <laughs> or undercooked, or Mixture was incorrect. Tuna casserole. You got it. Right. And so she would ask us if we'd like to try a little something before we left for the day. And after trying it a few times, we realized it wasn't that that good. So we teased her off and on about the fact maybe she wasn't a great uh, cook herself. And then she challenged uh, the guys in the class to basically come and, come and show what you could do. So myself and a couple of guys kind of took her up on the challenge. We got 20 guys to go in and we had an all-guys class. And it turned out to be the most popular class in the school because – we then had three hours to be with girls. Ah, of course, Rico. <laughs> you that see? makes perfect and, sense. And by the way, you married a, a girl works. named Sharon, which <laughs> I'm noticing the you know, connection here with the teacher and the infatuation. <laughs> Sharon, uh, yeah. just take a moment here. Uh, when you met this man, yeah. you know, most guys invite a woman out to dinner. Did you know of his background? Did you know what he was all about? And did you say, oh, he better darn well cook for me or we're not making this happen or what? Well, we were teenagers, so... I was 19 and he was 18, and we were introduced by my godmother, who was his aunt, Okay, his father's sister. So I already knew all about him, that he was, <laughs> that he was in cooking school, and, um, <clears throat> you know, he knew that I was a, um, you know, a singer and a, an actress in plays and mm-hmm. all that. And so when I met him, I was already prepared for, but I wasn't prepared for the restaurant business. Nor could I ever be. Really. Well, yeah. we'll get into that because <laughs> I have a little experience as a as a teenager, and I know the incredible dedication it takes to be successful at this. We'll get to that. Oh, so so you go to culinary school right. on a scholarship. Right. Congratulations! And you're trained as a classical expert in cu- classical cuisine. What does that actually mean? Well, that means we're talking about uh, chefs like a Scoffier. We're talking about you know classic French cuisine, um, the, the mother sauces, basically the basics you need to start out as a chef. Mm-hmm. And once you have those basic tools, you can then move into other cuisines. So for me, I was very, very fortunate to have two chefs, one that was basically um, probably in his 30s and one that was in his 50s. And the age difference was amazing, but the expertise between the two really mm-hmm. helped kind of hone me in a direction. was lucky to get a job while I was in school. Mm-hmm. Started working at a restaurant called Lily's down at Faneuil Hall. I remember. Market. I remember. Sure. And and that company grew over time, opened up crickets, the commons, and went coast to coast, um, opened up a restaurant in San Francisco, some in Philadelphia. 
So as time went on, I, I grew with the company. Now, you're a head chef now. What's it like when you're starting out working under another head chef? We've heard stories, and I'm not just talking about the TV stories, about the hierarchy. How does that work? Well, when you first start, most people start low in the business. You either start out possibly as a dishwasher or possibly making sandwiches, salads. On the lower uh, threshold of, you know, of experience, that's where you're going to start. If you end up at a restaurant where you've got a chef who will mentor you and teach you some you know, skill, more skills, mm. it's a great place to stay. Mm. If you find you're working for a chef who's not going to be teaching you anything and you're going to always be a dishwasher or a salad or maybe even just a, a basic line cook and you want to excel in this industry, you need to move on. So you find that you have the cook level and then eventually if you get lucky, you become a sous chef, which is like second or possibly third in command of the kitchen and build your way up to become the chef. Yeah, I call myself a sous chef at home. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's all I do. I call myself that. I mean, I'm barely able to find the, the knife rack. But uh, no, so so that's what happens in your case. Uh, did you have a mentor at those early restaurants? Not in the true sense. Uh, the unique thing about where I started, believe it or not, is nowadays women chefs are really coming forward. They're, they're everywhere you can be. In Boston, it probably has some of the best executive chefs, women chef owners in the country. It's actually noted throughout the country when well, I Lydia travel. Lydia Shire. Lydia Shire. We've got um, Jody Adams comes to mind as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Barbara comes to mind. Right. These are so, these are internationally known absolutely, chefs. Absolutely. So when you have chefs like that in the city, the unique thing is that there are a lot of men working under them now. Mm-hmm. When I first started and got that first job in 1977, I worked under a woman chef which was unusual as can be. Absolutely. The only uh, woman that was visible in that area was Julia Child on TV, but we didn't see that in restaurants, did we, that much? No, no. And again, she was there for you know probably about six months or so and then moved mm-hmm. on back mm-hmm. down to the Cape yeah. where they had a secondary restaurant. But it was kind of unique when I tell people that story, especially when I meet with culinary students around the country and uh, especially women, and they ask me questions like that. Who did you work under or where did you start? And I tell them I started under a woman chef. It just kind of blows them away because mm. the, the expectation of someone that my age working under a woman back then, it just was unheard of. Mm. And then, of course, you moved up through the ranks working for that re- wonderful chain of restaurants all over the country, right? Well, yeah. The, the, eventually, we ended up um, working from 11 years. The company mm-hmm. eventually was moved along. It basically sold out and, and closed some locations after they picked up the Palace and Saugus. They bought that from uh, a restaurant group that owned it, and they ran it for a while, and that was the end of that particular company. Well, Rico, you've been on the forefront of the Boston, New England rise in culinary excitement. Let's put it that way. Everybody talks about Boston, and, and it's been, what, 20 years or so, and because of some of those names and you, it's a remarkable turn of events, right? This area is mm. so well-respected. Yeah, we've we pretty much got everything. Everything in the city of New York has, we have in Boston here. I mean, we have chefs from all over the world here opening every just, just about every cuisine you can think of is in Boston. People love to come to the city. It's a walking city. It's a beautiful city. Not that other cities aren't, but it's one of those cities you can really feel like you're in Europe when you walk around here in Boston. That really adds mm-hmm. a flavor to the to the cuisine as well. Well, uh, Sharon, you know, because you're at the restaurant, I'm sure, more often than I am, that little area, or maybe not, maybe you're home waiting for this guy to get home <laughs> at 2 in the morning. I know what that's like. But that little area where the uh, the Union Oyster House is absolutely plucked from the streets of Europe. Definitely. It? It definitely. And I grew up in the North End, which is down the street from there. So for me, 
it's not a place that I would go because it was more like always there. <laughs> so, you know, a place that's always kind of been in your kind of in your neighborhood yeah. uh, close by. It's it's not a place that you would think to go. But since he's been working there and, you know, all the all the fame that other people, uh, you know, equate to it. Yeah, I I'm more in tune with it than I was even growing up 10 minutes away from there. I mean, if you go to New York and I just came from New York f- for a quick weekend uh, visit, you know, there are so many historic Tavern on the Green kind of comes to mind, places like that. But Boston has its fair share. The only issue now is some of the greats are going away. And and as we record this, we just saw the loss of a little place called the No Name Restaurant mm-hmm. and, of course, Durgan Park. For those outside the area, these are hundreds of years old in some cases, uh, now not as old as the Union Oyster House. What do, what do you think? What's going on? Well, I think it's sometimes it's the it's the rents have moved into yeah. um, the stratosphere. Um, some of it's basically like the Durgan Park's case. They were sold to a, a New York company, speaking of New York, and uh, they mm-hmm. ran it as a management company for a while and then basically decided it wasn't making the numbers that they needed to make and and, and basically closed it down. Mm. Um, no names case from what I've heard is that uh, they just ran into some financial problems. They just couldn't keep up with the, the cost of running the business. People have this notion that places like that will be here forever because they have been forever. But they're, mm-hmm. as you say, their business is like any other and they, they run into hard times or it's just time to say goodbye. I mean, some businesses like, uh, again, we're being very local here, Hammersley's. I remember when the chef yeah, there said, sure. I'm done, 30 years, had a good run. They could never get a seat there, but he just moved on. Right. I mean, and even uh, even uh, Jody Adams did that actually too. She actually moved on into a different uh, she opened trade. She went from one, you know, one chain style to another chain. Mm-hmm. Now she's got all these different restaurants going. So the time, sometimes restaurants run a course and they're, and they're done, and you realize that it's time to move on to something else. All right, we all rolled our eyes and we talked about how tough the restaurant business is. Not being snooty about it, but being realistic. So I'll start with Sharon. Sharon, <laughs> and Sharon and I have similar paths because you've been an entertainer and working late, and yeah. you know what it's like to hang out at hotels and perform and all that. Yeah. Uh, but how tough is it from your vantage point, knowing this guy and loving him as you do? I mean, how how much work is there involved in a project? Like well, this? I think it took me a long time, especially as a, I would say as a newlywed, um, you know, having lived at home and then married at like 23 mm-hmm. years old, you know, really young. And uh, first time, you know. Being on my own and married to a chef, a young chef, just kind of making this way, I did not know or realize how much time, you know, would be waiting for him to come home at one o'clock in the morning or two. And even as a singer, I think it was still hard for me because uh, my independence was always there, thankfully. But I learned to be super independent and strong and actually further in my own career because of of what he did. And it took me an adjustment though, because I, at first I wasn't sure how to, can I deal with this? Mm. You know, never knowing when someone's coming home, working holidays, weekends, you never know if someone calls out sick, you you can't plan anything. Um, and so it's kind of like being an entertainer, I think was okay for me because I was able to pour myself into my own career. I had a very tiny role to play. I was a, a typical busboy waiter. Remember those nights when you you can't leave until you're done. What does being done mean in a restaurant? Let me ask you that. Yeah. Well, cool. well, for the chef, you, you last one out, you shut the lights off, you're basically closing up. The gen, you know, the general manager takes care of the dining room side, but 
But you're responsible to make sure everything's put away, everything's off, you know, your crew's all, all cleaned up and ready to go. And so you're the last one out of the kitchen every night. Well, that's the thing that people don't understand or think about, the amount of responsibility, because every meal that you send out has to be perfect, right? Absolutely. Because you'll hear about it if it isn't. But also, you've got to deal, as the chef, I would imagine you can explain this with, with issues of hygiene and cleanliness and so forth, right? Right. I mean, you got all kinds of different uh, regulations in reference to food. I mm-hmm. mean, basically, you know, we're handling food product of all different species. You know, we've got everything from oysters, you know, chicken, steaks, and everything coming in has to be properly handled. Temperatures mm-hmm. are really mm-hmm. important. Sanitation is important. Temperatures of the dish machine. Um, equipment needs to be running properly. Refrigeration temperatures. It goes on and on. Now, there is an issue that's come up in various articles about uh, the stress factor, and, and maybe you've seen it among your colleagues. Many, sadly, get so stressed out that they turn to drugs and alcohol and other issues. Mm-hmm. What can we do about that? What is there anything being done to help guys and gals in the industry where it is so stressful? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there there is places to go to, to get help. I mean, with with myself, I mean, yeah, I'm under a lot of stress at, stress at times, but I do find other things to do to relieve the stress. And part of that, some of the other things I've done in the in my career with some of these associations I belong to, where you can actually go and talk with other chefs mm. who who can basically speak the same language you speak without having to explain it to too much detail. But when you go to the thing, and basically I tell them a little story about what happened today, and they can actually tell you the same story, yeah. and you can kind of basically get together and and really offload some of the pressure. Because they they walk your shoes, you know. They lived it. They lived with uh, same for us, right, Sharon? Yeah. Radio or yeah. singing. We Anything. all entertainment. <laughs> right. We all share in our own families of work what what that's all about. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. But I I do know some folks who have careened off the edge, and it's mm-hmm. really sad yeah. because they're such talents. Yeah, My, myself as well. I mean, I've had some friends along the way that you know things have gone badly for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also had others that have turned it around one hundred eighty percent, one hundred eighty degrees. So, right. Right. So. It can go both ways. You mentioned organizations. I want to ask you about the Epicurean Club, uh, in this case of Boston. What happens at the Epicurean Club? Well, the Epicurean Club uh, is a unique group. It's it's uh, basically the oldest professional chef's club in the United States. So it was founded mm-hmm. in 1894, and I'm not a founding member. Right? People <laughs> always get me with either that or Union Oyster. It's the white mustache. We exactly. Might. <laughs> it's the gray hair. Um, it took years to get it gray. But uh, the Epicurean Club pretty much is a a group of chefs that are in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they raise scholarships, help share their knowledge with with younger chefs coming up, uh, mentor people, and also you know, we meet monthly at different uh, locations throughout the 128 Belt, and we have education at each one of these meetings, and they're social as well. Mm. And we basically, you know, are tied in with the American Colony Federation, which is a national organization. We're actually the first chapter which we were a chapter in 1932. Um, and we're also part of the World Chefs Association, which is made up of over 2 million chefs. I would think it'd be pretty challenging to prepare a meal for an organization like that. I've done it several times, <laughs> and it is challenging it, because you know everybody in the room is a chef. That's what I'm thinking. And everybody's critical. Exactly. <laughs> but if you have a good time with it um, and don't take it, just try, just try to have a good time. Think yeah. about cooking for your friends yeah. and just make it nice. That's how I've done it in the past with him. So does Rico make it nice at home when he's when he's home? Uh no. <laughs> he's right. never there. <laughs> we like I always say we like to dine out. Today we're taping this on a Tuesday. That's your day my day off. Off. Because you don't get two days off and a weekend like most human beings. <laughs> 
No, uh, and very, I very rarely. <laughs> so I always wonder, you know, people who do what they do so beautifully for others. If when you come home, it's just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or bag of chips or something yeah, like well, that. Well, it's not quite that, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like I said, the cuisine is not uh, classic cuisine at that point. It's pretty much just make something that we both commonly like. How about tastes and uh, where we are now? Do, do, if you take a look at your diary from say. 20 years ago or 10 years ago, have you noticed shifts? Do you notice changes in what people want? Yeah, I think it, it's – I've been seeing spice has been a big, a big thing. People seem to be eating spicy food or basically people that have more bold flavors wants. That seems to be what they want. Um, I don't know if it's because we're getting older and our palates are changing or if it's the fact that people are taking more risks and actually feel, realizing that spicy food is actually good for them. It is actually good for mm-hmm. them in many cases. What about a, a trend towards more plant-based meals? There, There is still. I mean, you see some of the commercials here locally. They're pushing um, – even some of the chains are pushing the, the, the Impossible Burger right, and, and things right. like that, basically plant-based burgers. Um, we looked at them with our club about three or four years ago before they really hit the market. Um, and they needed to be a little perfected at that point. Now mm-hmm. I think they've gotten to the point where people actually are accepting them. I think the flavor has changed and it's actually tasted better. They've got a little bit more bold flavor, a little more spice in them. They're doing different toppings on them, trying to really mimic what people want to put on a hamburger or a right. piece of chicken. It's interesting. I was just at a conference and there was a wonderful speaker, a nutrition from Harvard, who was talking about that, plant-based diets. And and he said, you know, if you're going to eat that, you might as well just eat a hamburger because you're not getting that much – it's not much difference in terms of nutritional value, fat, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. I mean some people say eat that impossible burger so you'll save the environment. But I mean, really, I mean, ultimately, it, it, there's still a long way to go. What, what's your favorite dish to cook, to prepare, the style of dish, let's put it that way? It, it's pretty much a lot of seafood. I mean, I've been cooking seafood pretty much and being a New England chef for all these years. So seafood is pretty much my forte. That's, that's what I like to cook. All right. I've got a question for you. Why is it that I cannot find on any menu, any place, and maybe you can tell me where, smelts? I love question. smelts. I used to yeah. do this on the air. I'd say, yeah. anybody out there love smelts? And I get a lot of calls. I can't find it on any menu ever. I, I don't really have a good answer for <laughs> you. I could, I could try to think one up while you, I you, stumped you, gave the me chef. Sec- you gave me a few seconds to think about it. I haven't seen that on, on anybody's menu probably 40-something, maybe 50 years, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's one of those menus. old guys' foods that I love that I can't find. It's I just on a search. Yeah. That's it, my, my quest. It's like escargot. You know, we we don't see escargot really around here. There's only one True. restaurant I can think of that has it. Uh, my friend over at Cafe Esco, Brian Thier, he still has ca- you know that mm. at the Cafe Esco drill. Um, and I, when I go there, it's, I always order it. Right. What do you think of the television chef boom? What I mean, it's done remarkable things for restaurants and interest, and people want to go out and try stuff and all that. But uh, do you have a particular one that you tend to like or? Yeah, I've watched. I've watched quite a few of them, and I've chopped. I do like actually Hell's Kitchen to a point. Um, <laughs> to a point. To a point. Well, <laughs> you have to understand it. It's like a game show. Yeah. If you think of the Food Network, um, I was on a long time ago when it actually was a cooking, specifically coming into restaurants. Watch the chef cook, and they would talk about your restaurant. Now it's pretty much game shows. That's the way I kind of equate it. You know, a Guy Fury has that supermarket show. They run around with carts, and the chefs right. run around. And we've had right. some local chefs on that. Chopped again. Uh, that's a pretty intense show. I like that one. Well, Ramsey isn't couldn't possibly be the character he plays, or would, is he? I would hope not. I have not. <laughs> I have not met him. Um, I don't think so. But he is on my list of people. I would ask that question. Uh, you know, yeah. Chef, are how, you? How, how are you in real life? I mean, are you? 
Because he looks like a great guy to have sit down and have a beer with, yeah. you know, because the stories you could probably tell. Oh, my goodness. Those stories. Let me shift over to Sharon here because uh, you and I go back a long way. Yeah. And I owe you thanks again publicly for some of the kindness you've shown me and uh, some charity work we did together. But tell me about your career and where things stand right now and uh, what you're up to. First of all, you owe me nothing. It was all a pleasure. And uh, knowing you, you're one of my heroes and you're an inspiration to me. So oh, thank you. And thank you for including me today. Of course. Um, I've been singing for 50, 52 years, still doing that every week. I perform in a lot of assisted living um, and small functions uh, as far as live performance and keep a couple of restaurants as well. But I, I've been venturing into voiceover, mm-hmm. um, studying it for the last few years, and that seems to be the path I'm on. And um, in the, I think that's going to be my number one focus, though I will always be a singer. Your wife is just such She's a sweet fabulous. voice. And more Thank important you. than that, there's so much heart and soul uh, in your singing. Thank you very much. It really is uh, expressive. And uh, you're lucky, man, to have this beautiful lady on your arm and she can serenade you. You won't cook for her, but she can serenade (laughs) you. You know, I always say when she's learning a new song, I have to learn it too, because she plays the song like 50, 60 times in a row over and over again. So sometimes I actually learn the song just as well as she does. But but she is kind of modest, though, about her, her expertise. I mean, she's a fabulous singer. Yeah, absolutely. Sharon DeFranzo, you can find uh, some of her recordings that are out there still and uh, a lot of stuff on the web and so forth. So it's a, it's an important thing. I wanted Thank to ask you, you too, yeah. Rico, about the collectibles, because I noticed that in the bio. Mm-hmm. I collect a lot of old radio memorabilia, which is fun. What do you collect? I collect culinary rem- memorabilia. So what what does that mean? So it could be an old menus. It could be old books. It could be magazines. It could be old photos. And then what I like to do with some of these items is when I travel around and visit, like so my friends in Chicago, I look through the stuff I have. And if I find something unique, I think that fits in with what's going on, I bring it. And then all of a sudden I make a presentation and I give someone a picture of his father who's mm. a chef and he's a second generation chef. Didn't know the picture existed. And I basically wow. would present that to them. Cool. Or if we were traveling in, uh, to an event and uh, I know the chef's coming, he doesn't know I'm coming, I actually slip the uh, bellman a few dollars and have him put the picture in his room. Oh, and that's so him nice. Like from 20, 30 years ago, or it could be a, uh, you know, a unique picture of something that ties in with his culinary association in that city. Mm. And then basically, I put a little note on there and say, you know, enjoy the memory. And then when he comes down the next day, he's like, he's talking about who, who put that picture in my room? Mm-hmm. He knew who did it. So that's that's what I like to do, things like that with it. For those people who ever wonder why do folks love to go out to eat? I mean, obviously, it's to get out. It's to get out of the kitchen. But I think it's really a relationship with the people around the food and the waiters. I mean, I have waiters and 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 maitre d's that I've known for years, and you just love seeing them. But even when the chef comes out, you know, from the back of the kitchen and says hello, there's a certain something in some some restaurant examples that goes beyond the food. Even you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I mean, when when Sharon and I go out, a lot of times we go to the same type of restaurants, the same restaurants. We have our favorite bartender, we have our favorite yeah. waitress and waiter, um, host. Walk in, they recognize you. The owner pops out out of the, you know, it says hello. You know, you get that feeling of warmth when you basically go to these kind of places. Yeah, there's a relationship that builds up. And uh, I do a talk to, I also talk to uh, senior groups, you know, senior citizens, yes. the best audiences. I know. And one of my talks <laughs> is all about dining memories. You know, where did you go to dine? And of course, in New England, you get all these 
people remembering Howard Johnson's and all the other plays. And it's amazing the response. People are just so connected to where they ate and Mm -hmm. the experience. Yeah, because yeah. fabulous, mean, it, right? It, that's amazing. I mean, some people eat the same restaurant, same day of the week, eat the same meal every single week. And I used to work for a company like that. Those mm-hmm. basically American food systems. Mm-hmm. We could pretty much every day know almost exactly what we we're going to sell because the customers are that regular that they would literally come in and say, "I'm going to have the stuffed mushrooms." We, we know we're going to sell ten <laughs> orders of this, fifteen <laughs> orders of that. And it was almost down to the number, week to week. It was amazing. i never seen anything like that in any restaurant I ever worked at. Yeah, it's interesting, too. Uh, we talked about trends. Now that people have Uber food to go, et cetera, Uber Eats, you would think that it'd be easier to get a table at your favorite restaurant. Not so, at least not in the city. Uh, Union Oyster House, for instance, is always jammed because yeah. it's a great restaurant. But people want to go there for the experience. Well, they go there for the experience. Hopefully, they're coming for the food. I always say that. But they're really yeah. coming also for yeah. the history. Because there's so much history that happened in that building, on uh, the adjoining buildings that uh, go back to the colonial era. Well, isn't it the oldest tavern in the in the uh, country as well, well right the, around the corner? That's uh, up the street a little bit. Yeah, the, they claim to be the oldest, but I, I can't say that for a fact because it it opened and closed. Meaning, uh, like the Union House didn't close. We we stay open all the way through consistently through, and that's what gives us that uniqueness of being a national historic landmark for mm. the, being continuing operating in the same spot. That's the key. There are places that have opened and were open before us and then have reopened since. But there's a lap in the gap of the times. So there's a gap. Right. Yeah. The we gap don't have the, a gap. See that? Yeah, they don't have a gap. <laughs> that's it. That's going to be the takeaway, the hashtag. They don't have a gap. That's yeah. good. How are the oysters? Let's talk about the oysters. Oysters are really good. We What I do with the oysters is we, we buy farm-raised oysters, so sustainable companies that we do business with. Um, we basically bring the oysters in from like, Wellfleet, Katuit, uh, Duxbury, pretty much New England products. We start out in Massachusetts, and then we either go north or south, depending on the time of the year and what's available. So we'll go up to Maine, grab some New Hampshire oysters. Um, we'll go down, basically down the Cape, work our way down to um, Rhode Island, Connecticut, and, and so And is forth. that part of your responsibility, too, to to do the the supply runs and make sure you get the right people on the right supplies, bringing the stuff you need. Yes, absolutely. We're con- constantly on the phone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Head chef job. Yeah, we're constantly on the phone trying to find out what we can get our hands on, what's available. You know, cherry stones, little necks, very difficult to get at certain times of the year. So we have to have more than one supplier. So we have actually six suppliers of, of basically for shellfish. What I'm discovering is it's really like the CEO of a, of a corporation or more importantly, the captain of a ship, right? You've got the crew You've got the supplies, the loading, the lading, et cetera, et cetera, and and you've more more important than anything, you've got the audience. I mean, they've, you've got yeah. the passengers. Yeah, on, it's on a, the very boat. very similar. I mean, again, the kitchen's kind of run on a military fashion in respect to the way the the hierarchy is. I mean, you have your executive chef is pretty much the general of the operation, and the sous right. chefs are work the way down. The cooks, you get your lead cooks, and so on. And one thing's for sure, this lady is very proud of you. I know you're proud of her, but when, when we set this up, said, oh, this would be great. And, and, and I said, uh, well, all I need is a little background. And I got this amazing two-page bio. It looks like you're the chairman of General Motors. You've got so many <laughs> accolades and so forth. But I think it's great that you guys are a couple and a power couple and a, having a lot of fun. And it sounds like you're really a, in a nice sweet spot right now, Rico. Yeah. Yeah, the Union Oyster House is a really unique spot. I always tell my guys, you're going to get prepared every day because you never was coming to dinner. I mean, we could have anybody come to dinner. You could be coming. Yeah. I mean, again, a celebrity I, like yourself as well as – Please. As well as, again Who, – Who's poli- been in of, of late that you could mention? Um, well, the, the probably the most – I'd say the famous person would probably be uh, Barack Obama. President Barack Obama came Well, in. that's a pretty him. good get. 
Yeah, he was a good one. Um, yeah, Lindsey Graham was in uh, not that long ago. We've had um, our, our – uh, I'm trying to think of some of the ones that actually can uh, – Any any actors uh, of note or performers? Because there were a lot of them floating around. Yeah, we've had some comedians in as well. Um, we have people in from different TV shows. The wait yeah. staff seems to, to recognize the ones from Hulu and things like that. Well, that's because um, you're working all the time. What the I hell do you wor- know I am about working TV? A lot, but, um, Amy Schumer. Yeah, Amy Schumer. Oh, okay. Actually, Amy Schumer's been in as well. David um, Schwimmer. Didn't he come in from David Friends? Schwimmer, yeah. She knows, <laughs> she knows them all because what I do is I text her usually. I say, hey, guess who's in, you know? That's great. And then two seconds later, she goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know? Uh, We've had, you know, different singers. We've had, um, you know, fighters, boxers, you know, sports people. It's just a variety. When I worked at a wonderful restaurant called La Scala, which is in Randolph, Massachusetts on Route 28, when I worked there, occasionally uh, a guest would come in, maybe not always a celebrity. Mm -hmm. And this was a special moment. The guest would say to the owner, Bobby, would you cook for me? Does anybody Mm -hmm. ever come in and say, Rico, cook for me? Yeah. Oh, man. It happens every every now and then. You get someone who'll come in and say, uh, "Chef, make whatever you want. Make me what you want." You know, indulge yourself. Yeah, indulge yourself. And so then then it becomes okay. I ask them, you know, what do you like? And then when they say everything, <laughs> and so that doesn't narrow the field down. No, exactly. And um, and I say, okay, then give me an idea. Do you do you prefer this or that? And eventually it comes down to I just go in the kitchen and put something together and send it out to them, and and hopefully they like it. You know that's that's the hopefully key. they like it. You're being modest. I mean, you're <laughs> yeah. you're you're very modest because your stuff is amazing, and I think it's a, a credit to people who not only love the work they do but have a passion and an understanding of the history of it. And uh, and I think the fact that you're involved with so many organizations. What we didn't mention is that you are the first chef from Massachusetts to have been certified as a world certified master chef. That's impressive, my friend. Thank you. Is that did you travel much, and do you get a chance to see others in other countries as well? Yes. Well, I've, again, being being a chef, I always tell uh, my students. I also I teach at Boston University um, the culinary students there, the hospitality students, how to become a chef, or what it's mm. about to be a chef. They may not become chefs, but it gives them a feel for it. I always tell them this white jacket. As I go like this, I hold always hold yes. like this. Why my white jacket? So this jacket opens up doors. It's opened up doors mm. for me that I could never be explained to you. I've dined in some restaurants, uh, expensive, like you wouldn't believe. I've dined in basically private clubs. You'd have to probably be a millionaire, a billionaire to get in, uh, all because I'm a chef. And chefs love to cook for chefs. And they also like to invite them in and show them what what they can do. So in reference to travel, I mean, recently I got invited to Peru. I uh, went down mm-hmm. there to uh, a educational piece for 200 uh, students down there. Uh, went to South Korea last year. Same thing. Basically did – Took 36 pounds of New England seafood, fresh, in a cooler with another chef from, from Maine, a great friend of mine. Uh, and we went basically over to Korea and we cooked for the kids and we did live demos for them as well. That's awesome. Wow. That is so yeah. cool. Again, it, it's a it's an icebreaker here domestically, but uh, there's a universal language. Like music, food yeah. is a universal language. Sure. Yeah. And the next, the next major trip I have actually in February – I'm going to Germany to Stuttgart, Germany to go to the Colony Olympics where chefs from all over the world compete against each other for the title basically of world's best chef. Are you going as a judge or as a competitor? Actually, neither. I'm going as a supporter of the American teams. Oh, good. Um, because okay. uh, one of the organizations I belong to, which is the Academy of Chefs, which is the Honor Society of Chefs, I'm currently the chairman, and we support the youth team that has been representing the United oh, States. Terrific. So our team will go over there. We have a, a youth team, a military team. We also have a uh, national team and also a uh, another team that makes up part of the country, basically, a regional team. 
Well, I've asked you so many questions. I only have one more <laughs> that's totally inane, but I'll ask it anyway. Every major kitchen chef that I've had the pleasure of meeting, and I've known quite a few in passing, but not as intimately as I now know you, has something on their uniform to give them a little personality. Do you have anything that is special to you? Do you wear any kind of kerchief or do you have anything that's unique? In, in the when I first started out, yeah, I wore the uh, I used to wear multicolored. Every 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 week was a different <laughs> colored ne- neckerchief. Okay, so every I had pretty much every color under the sun, and just pick up one I would like to wear. Uh, but nowadays, pretty much it's it's the certifications that are on my jackets that that pretty uh, much stand out. Some of them I just we just mentioned, but that's what I put on my jacket. And also the last one is is the initials AAC, which stands for the American. Uh, culinary, excuse me, American Academy of Chefs, which is part of the American Culinary Federation, which is one of the ones I'm, that's really special for me. Well, there's many reasons to be proud of the work you do and uh, the accomplishments. I'm so honored that we had a chance to chat. I'll get down to the restaurant to, I don't need to sit in the Kennedy booth, but I'll <laughs> I'll take a look at it. Once I know you're coming in. You'll, you'll be there. You'll be there. But uh, Sharon, I am delighted to be working with you again in any capacity. Same here. You guys have been... Uh, wonderful friends over the years. And now we're even more intimate here because of the podcast. But thank you so much. And for people who want to find out more, obviously, just Google the Union Oyster House, Google Amerigo. Did I say it right? That's right. Amerigo DeFranzo, D-I-F-R-O-N-Z-O. And Sharon DeFranzo, dynamite power couple. She's a brilliant singer and voiceover artist. Guys, thank you so much. Happy eating. Thank you. Thank Thank you you very much for inviting us in. It's great. Oh, my thanks again to Rico and Sharon DeFranzo, making beautiful cuisine and music together and uh, supplying the rest of the world with a lot of happiness. My thanks to all of you for subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing our podcast, growing in numbers every single week. We'll catch you next time. Until then, this is Jordan saying, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.